Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go! Hello and welcome to Polly Campbell's Simply Write, the podcast where we talk about the craft and quirks of creating a writer's life and a professional writing career. I'm Polly, I'm your host, and I'm a writer and I've been doing this for almost 30 years in one form or another. I think there's a lot of ways to create a professional writing career. It's more of a lifestyle and it depends on your commitment and the things you want to create in your life. And today I'm super excited because we're having a friend on that I've known for a few years, we go back to the day when we were both just starting out and thinking about what kind of life and what kind of career we wanted to shape. Today, I am happy to have comedy and humor writer Wendy Ahrens on the show to talk about her writing process, the career and serious side of writing comedy. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Polly. I'm so excited to be here. And as you referenced, I, we met as 18-year-olds. Uh, in the college dorms, which is mind blowing. Uh, you look the same as to me right now as you did then. Well, a little gray hair, but you look the same hair. too. We we made it though, right? It, it was forever it. ago, and we're both professional writers, which I think is really interesting. If there's ever a testament that it can be done, I think this is it, right? That's true. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about that today. Wendy is an accomplished writer. She's an award winner humor writer whose work has appeared in the New Yorker Daily Shouts. That's not nothing. McSweeney's Internet Tendency, U.S. Weekly, Fashion Police, Scary Mommy, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, all over the place. She's also the author of the middle grade book, Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian, and the humorous memoir, I'm Wearing Tunics Now. She's a contributor to many anthologies and her work been performed on stage. Her blog was awarded the funniest parenting blog by Parents Magazine, and she's been awarded the most entertaining writer at the Mom 2.0 Influencer Conference. Wendy, congratulations on all of this and your book and you're doing you're doing it, girl. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And as I referenced uh, earlier when you and I were talking off uh, mic, I'm an overnight success at age 55. So I think the theme of my writing career is persistence at this point. So, you know, everything you read sounds like it's uh, a lot, but it all kind of happened over a period of years with the books just coming out this year. It's only been this year that um, I've been legitimately published like that with uh on my own and not in an in an anthology 
And I think that's really important to note the overnight success bit, you know, it does take persistence, it does take honing your craft and practicing even now for me, I mean, I'm constantly doing outreach things and so forth. So I can get better. You know, I, I tell people in my case, um, I always wanted to publish books. And in my case, I uh, am a good testament to spending 40 years to achieve your first goal, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. it, it took that long for my first book. And that's okay with me, right? But you yeah. had a different path. You you were in film for a while, you were on another track for a while. Yeah, that was my, uh, my degree from Oregon, University of Oregon, where we met is in film and TV. So I wanted to write screenplays, I didn't know any better. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to I didn't know what I was doing. And unfortunately, Oregon, while a wonderful place, uh, wasn't exactly a, a feeder into Hollywood, <laughs> since most of my uh, film professors were like 60s burnouts who knew a lot about film, but not a lot about how to get hired in Hollywood. So I, I did move to LA right after college. And I worked wound up working for Warner Brothers. So you know, that's not nothing, as you would say. And uh, just got very disenchanted with it. I film is my first love. And it's that that old saying that there are two things you never want to see being made laws and sausage. And I'd add <laughs> film into the mix, because I just I, I couldn't enjoy it anymore as an art form. I just knew too much about the business. And I got really burned out. Um, so I left film and went into the um, much more moralistic field of advertising, which that's a joke because advertising is not exactly uh, saving the world. But that was the first time I was actually writing. Um, I kind of had the epiphany that all of these like short, funny things that I've always written, even in college, I remember sticking up stuff in our sorority house, like the ripping off David Letterman's top 10 list. You know, I, I mm -hmm. like to do quick, funny stuff. And that really lent itself well to advertising. So I was a copywriter for just about four years. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I would go back and do that again tomorrow. What has the launch of two books been like? I know you wrote uh, uh, Middle Grid and that's short word form, but it's still longer than a one-off ad. How has it been transitioning into the longer form? I, I you know, it, it was very interesting because the Middle Grade book is fiction. And my other one is a humorous memoir, which, you know, it's, it's more personal. I still have a privacy guard up, but it's been uh, different in that when I'm pitching and promoting the fiction book, I don't take it as personally as I do when I'm pitching the book about myself. So I will, would say that that's, this has been my least favorite part of having the book is uh, trying to sell it and seeing the reviews come in and blah, blah. Um, that said, um, Tunix has been out for two weeks and I've been getting just wonderful private messages and emails and so many people are enjoying the book and getting a laugh out of it, which was my main goal. So that's good. But um, yeah, it just kind of feels like you're walking naked in the town square all of a sudden, which, you know, it, we writers like to hide behind our keyboards. So to suddenly be out there and everybody's having a say about this baby we've put into the world is uh, a little unsettling, but ultimately it's, you know, that's what we strive for. So I can't be upset that this is happening. It's I, basically, I'm saying it's complicated, as you know. It's complicated. I think, you know, people, many writers I have talked to over the years, including myself at various stages, think in terms of the goal of getting the book. Um, and, and now that I have a, couple books 
the goal is really the process for me and getting the words on the page so the book is ready to share because the publishing it really changes i my book is very personal too all of my books and um i remember getting a review that talked about basically what white trash i was and i could tell by the words they used in the book in the review that they hadn't even read the book you know yeah. they talked about this middle-aged white woman you know driving this car well that's not even the car i have i never referenced yeah. that you know so it is a it is hard it it's two jobs right you go from the creative artist writer type to the business marketing woman yeah yeah and i you know i like marketing but it's just different when you're the product um, and yeah, I'm getting, um, uh, getting the one-star reviews from people who haven't read the book, which, yeah. you know, can you do about it? And, and that's, that's my struggle right now is to not focus on that and to focus on all the good things that are coming out of it. Well, the book is delightful. Go out writers and, and get it as an example of what you can do telling your story, but in a way that is really relatable and honest and fun. Um, I think you even talk about that in the book, Wendy, early on where, where you say you want people to have a laugh, but you also want them to belong you want them to feel a part of this and and feel like they can relate why was that important to you and how hard is it to do both of those things well i i am a huge believer that humor opens doors humor brings people together and you know if if i in fact i was just quoted in the new york times they had an article about the power of humor and i was quoted about how you can use levity to diffuse a tense situation i'm a huge believer in that um and, you know, humor makes you feel like you're less alone. If you're all sharing at, sharing a laugh about something relatable, you've all experienced the same thing, or you've maybe had these feelings and didn't know how to process them. And if I can reframe it and turn it into something light or sarcastic or show you how you can laugh at yourself and your situation, to me, that's, you know, I'm probably going to win the Nobel Prize for it because I... I you know, I think I'm changing <laughs> so many lives. But no, I mean, that's been in my biggest takeaway in midwife is that's when you need friends the most. And, you know, you have friends when you're young, you have friends in college. But as we said, before we got on the mic, we've both kind of lost touch with those friends who you think you're going to have forever. And, um, you know, if you move, if you change jobs, after you've raised kids, you kind of find yourself a little bit alone. It's a, a strange feeling. So, one thing I've really cultivated uh, over the past few years is just friendships and, and reaching out and meeting new friends. You're never too old to make a new friend. And that's kind of what I wanted this book to inspire people to do. And you maybe remember there's an early chapter in the book where I was snubbed by these women at the bus stop who said they had too many friends. And I, I'll never forget that because, you know, not like I wanted to be their best friend, but who does that? You know, it's just such a... Uh, awful thing to do to somebody who maybe is lonely and just needs a, a, a hi, hello, how are you doing? So that's why, you know, I say later on, if you're somewhere and somebody walks in and looks confused, just say, hey, I saved you a seat. Or if somebody writes a piece you like, find their email and send them a note and say, this really made me laugh. I really got a lot out of this, you know, it costs you nothing. And it's just, that's my way of spreading joy and happiness. You know, I think books like this too, because of how it was crafted, help us to get out of our shell a little bit and realize, oh, I'm not the odd one. I'm not, this is just, I'm having this human experience. And that's what books did for me when I was a kid, right? And so yeah, to same. find these now, 
I think we need to read them and I think we need to write them. I think they do change the world. So good luck when you get the Nobel Prize. Please come back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'll wave to you from Norway. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Just drop me a dime, would you? I mean, come on. It's a big award. I will. So we're going to take a break and be right back with Wendy Aarons, the author of I'm Wearing Tunics Now. And we're going to talk about crafting comedy and humor, what it's like to actually put it on the page and the serious side of the craft right here on Simply Right with Polly Campbell. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. I'm Polly. You're listening to Simply Write, the podcast where we talk about crafting a writer's life. I think it's doable. And today we're on with author and writer Wendy Ahrens uh, to talk about comedy writing and writing humor. She's the author of I'm Wearing Tunics Now and Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian. And Wendy, you have another one coming out. Can we talk about that today or is it too early? No, it's fine. It's, uh, it's a gift book called Socks. Just Socks. Um, I was kind of a, a pen for hire on that one where Chronicle Books had the concept and they wanted a humor writer. And I had written a few pieces for McSweeney's, um, like one was called Airplane Passengers as Explained by Their Pants. <laughs> so they had found that. But that that was a good example of having my work out there and a publisher was looking for somebody with my skills and, you know, kind of a perfect match. So I just wrote funny stuff about socks and it's a great looking book that'll come out in March. Well, look for that. I had a pen for hire uh, book also, and it's not something we've talked on the show yet, but I think that's a great point. Do the work, right? Get the work Mm -hmm. out there because you get nothing by sitting at your desk and not turning anything in or giving anything to the world. So you always have a chance if you get it out. Exactly. Were you deliberate or are you deliberate in where you put your essays and your short writing pieces out? Did you have markets in mind when you started doing this? When I started it, there was only really McSweeney's, which was a niche website. Um, Dave Edgar started it. It's uh, satiric humor. And at the time I started in 2008, they didn't put much on there. So that was like my big get. The internet wasn't as big as it is now, obviously. And and I couldn't break into traditional magazine writing. I, I tried, but that was the days where you had to like mail a letter or send an email and it seemed impossible. But McSweeney's is fantastic in that anybody can submit. Even to this day, anybody can submit a piece. And so you're completely judged by your merit. Um, so I'm very deliberate. That's that's my favorite um place to put something and they're friends now because I've been contributing so long. 
Um, and then a few years ago, I was really upset that I'd never been in the New Yorker Daily Shouts. And then I realized, oh, I've never sent them anything. Well, there like you idiot. go. There you go. So, um, so I did, you know, I finally got some pieces in there, but it's the same thing where anybody can submit a piece to the New Yorker and it might take a few months to hear back from them when you're starting out. But if, if you're good, they'll see it and they'll run it. And then you have that credit. So, um, when I was first building my writing portfolio, I would try to get in various outlets just so I could put that on my bio as seen in blah, 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 as seen in blah, blah. So I, even reached out to our local NPR station here in Austin because I know David Sedaris got his start reading his Christmas elf story on NPR. Uh, so I reached out and uh, sent them a funny story and they had me come in and I recorded it and I'm like, check that box. Now I can say I've been on NPR, you know, so that's, that's my piece of advice for writers because that really opens the door when you're building your resume and you want to send a pitch to somebody or you're putting your book proposal together, you know, you can say you've been in all those places and maybe it was just once, but that doesn't matter. You were writing a lot early on without knowing if they were even going to be placed or appear. Yeah. Well, I started writing a blog um, because I did write a piece, which I detail in my book, Tunics, uh, an angry letter to always maxi pads. <laughs> and that ran on McSweeney's and it just went, it went viral before social media was created. I mean, it went viral, like people were printing it out and snail mailing it to each other. But that led to me starting a blog. So my blog was really where I worked on my craft, because I, I didn't want to write like a, a mommy blog post detailing my son's bathroom experiences. I just wanted to write something funny. I started a blog in 2009, I think. And that was just my way to cultivate my writing practice. I didn't have a huge audience, but I told myself every Monday I needed to have a new post. And I didn't know what that post was going to be until sometimes I sat down and started writing. Uh, so that really helped me build an audience, helped me get my writing more sharp. And right now, nobody's really blogging in the traditional sense, but I did start a Substack newsletter. Um, that's a great place to go. Uh, Medium, I think, is a little bit... Uh, not as good as Substack right now. Do you need to be around funny people to write funny? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, if you're collaborating, yes, you do have to be around a funny person. But sometimes humor isn't necessarily sitting down and making yourself crack up. I mean, I really take it as an art form and it's something that I take very seriously. So I trust my instincts. I feel like I have a good read on what's funny after doing it for so long. But a lot of times, if you see a comedian or a funny person uh, in the presence of a really funny joke or a funny comedian, instead of laughing their ass off, they'll say like, oh, that was really funny. That was really good. Like they take it so seriously um, that that's when you know it's it's a good piece. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I like that since I've known you, which has been mostly forever now, I, I guess, um, you have had a good sense of humor, though. You've you've always yeah. had a way of looking at the world that I think has been really funny. Is that something that can be cultivated? Can anyone write humor or comedy? Or do you think it's got to be innate a little bit? I think it does need to be innate a little bit. And I, when I've been giving uh, comedy lessons to kids to promote Ginger Mancino, 
you know, I always say that some people's brains just go to the funny thing. Like if I were told to sit down and write a dramatic poem, it would have a joke online too, because that's how my brain thinks and that's how I process things. But that said, yeah, there are tips and techniques you can use when you're writing humor. I highly recommend people read a lot, read McSweeney's a lot, read Daily Shouts a lot. Um, read David Sedaris, James Thurber, all of that. I mean, I've been reading Irma Bombeck since I was a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to see the patterns. You start to see like the rule of threes that people use or how they write a list with a, you know, increasing uh, tension in the list. And, you know, I do teach humor writing classes for adults and that's what I give them are these practical ways to insert, not in a, nobody's going to, let me back up. I give them practical ways to not only write humor pieces, but to insert more humor into any of their writing mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily have to be a humor writer to want to write funny dialogue or want to add something that's a little bit more light into your report you're sending. Um, I'm a huge proponent of sending an email with something funny and charming in it in a business situation because it stands out more. Um, you know, just, it's just more playful. It's, it's nothing, not everything has to be so serious. I I agree. I think even the serious things, one of our mistakes is making it too serious. You know, we're human beings, we're going to hold all of it at the same time. It's okay to laugh at the absurdity or, or notice it, right? Yeah. And, you know, I tell the kids uh, that humor is a huge tension breaker. And if they look at these Marvel movies, there's always like some huge dramatic scene and then Iron Man or one of them will just toss off a witty remark to break the tension, to get your shoulders down from your ears. And that's, you know, you can do that in writing. You can do that in life. A couple things I noticed in reading your writing, and I've, I've seen uh, some of your New Yorker, the, sh- the short pieces and the shouts and other things, including tunics. You use a lot of juxtaposition. In, in tunics, there's one scene in particular where you are going into a museum with your son and they offer you the senior rate. And that is stunning when that happens the first time, which it's also happened to me. Yeah. So the, the scene and, and the, the chapter is about how you know, of course, you're not a senior. And, and that's all very funny. But at the toward the end of that, you then have problems using your credit card in a very senior moment, right? Exactly. And you do that throughout the book, you have one scene, you, you lead us down one path, and then you lay something next to it that really illustrates the other. And it's very funny. Is that by design? You, I mean, you're a humor writer, you're crafting this. So I imagine that's part of what you're trying to do. I don't think I ever even really analyzed it like that, but um, it, it's just like my natural way of approaching things. I go back to the self-deprecating, like I'm in on the joke. I get it. And that's my way of coping with it. Like I, you probably know this too, when you're in certain situations, they're kind of horrifying, but you're like, <laughs> oh, this is good material. I'm going to get something out of this later. The other thing I wanted to mention about your work is you have these great observations, which I think is a should be in the writer job description. You got to notice things, but you get very, very specific when you write about it. You don't just say it was a rainy day. You talk specifically about whatever the element is. Um, is that something you think about when you're writing? I think that's probably from my film background. I like to set the scene. I like to make it visual so people can picture what's happening. 
Um, it's, it's probably left. I never even thought about that till you mentioned it. But yeah, I, I think it's left over from just the movie days. I, I think being specific is a whole lot funnier in, in that context than than a vague reference, because that really makes it unique to you you know you mm -hmm. the story is universal we're all getting older hopefully if we have that opportunity and mm -hmm. and the way uh, the unique observations you share i really appreciated and and i think what you touched on before is is tricky it's a it's a humor book it's, it's funny but it's also a memoir i mean some of this was it hard to write does it come close to the bone or do you have enough distance in what you decide to share with us that it's it's not hard to get down on the page that way yeah, it was easier to write about the early days of motherhood because there is distance and I can, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can judge myself and what happened then more fairly. Uh, right now I'm in the empty nest phase, which I touch on in the book, but I didn't get into it too much because it is really personal and emotional for me right now. So that's something in maybe 10 years, I'll have processed it more and I can see the humor in it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, you know, you don't read a lot about my husband's life or my kids' lives because it's not my story to tell. So I'm, I'm very, I very much honor their privacy. And that's probably why a lot of the stuff I write, I'm the foil, I'm the, you know, main character in it because I don't want to drag them into it and, and I keep them as more supporting characters. You you're you get to tell your story and be the the brunt of the jokes uh, as yeah. a way of saying it instead of hanging somebody else out there then that maybe borders on being mean in the world of comedy do you think about that? Yes a hundred percent and I've always been careful to not punch up or I'm sorry let me say that back. I've always followed the comedy rule that you punch up and not down, meaning you don't make fun of somebody, you're not mean to somebody, uh, you know, for things that they can't control or who they identify as as a human being. So, for example, I would never make fun of a, a kid who can't spell the word heal correctly. But when Donald Trump misspelled it three times on Twitter, I can make fun of him because <laughs> he's in power and he should mm -hmm. not spell the word, word heal. So. I, I very much am conscious about not being mean. And sometimes that's why it leads to me being the brunt of the joke. Wendy Ahrens, the author of I'm Wearing Tunics Now and Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian. Look for her work. Wendy, where can we get your books and track you down if we want to follow your other work? Well, the books are on the evil empire known as Amazon or bookshop.org, uh, just pretty much anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, all of that. Um, and you can find me just I always say this is terrible, but I say just Google me and, you know, things will pop up. You can find my website and my sub stack. And I'm kind of all over the Internet like a rash. What is one tip you could leave today if we're interested in looking into these markets and, and writing some comedy and developing that part of our craft? Where do we start today? Take humor writing seriously is my big piece of advice. It's that doesn't mean it's not fun. That doesn't mean you can't make yourself laugh, but it's a craft and you need to work on it. And I have people send me the pieces that they've written to get my feedback. And, you know, I like to do it because I see, I can easily see at this point where they need to go and what they haven't developed yet. I would say read a lot of humor and just see what you like, see what you gravitate towards because humor is very subjective. A lot of things that are trending number one on McSweeney's don't personally make me laugh, but that doesn't mean 
they don't make other people laugh. So kind mm-hmm. of figure out like, what is your favorite, like what you want to emulate. And that doesn't mean copy that necessarily, but figure out like, what, what was it about this that made me laugh? Was it relatable? Was it the way the writer used the list? What was it the escalation of the humor? So be a student of comedy. I, I really do pay a lot of attention and kind of break down why something makes me laugh. And yeah. then I apply that to my own work. Yeah. Read and, and write, right? Mm-hmm. Practice and look at the structure. These, you know, like Wendy said, if you want to be a professional writer, you need to be serious about whatever aspect of the writing you want to do. Study it, learn it, practice, practice different forms, read different stuff, see how the words work together on the page. And uh, what a joy. It's great to talk to you again. I'm so glad you're here. And this has been uh, a really good talk. Good luck with your book. I'm wearing tunics now. Wendy, Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Polly. The author Paula Danziger said, good writing is remembering detail. Most people want to forget. Don't forget things that were painful or embarrassing or silly. Turn them into a story that tells the truth. And then sit down and simply write. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.